If it is Monday, that means odds are there is an AAP podcast, and sure enough, there is. Thanks for joining us. I'm the Action Alerts Plus Portfolio Manager, Christopher Sachmi. Joining me again this week is Todd Campbell. Todd is the brains behind the streets, Street Smarts product. And uh, I'd like to talk to Todd, uh, as well as other folks in and around the larger AAP team, to pick their brains, get their insights, and uh, essentially instill it into the investing tapestry that is driving the Action Alerts Plus portfolio at thestreet.com. So with that, Todd, welcome. Hey, you know, we had so much fun last week that we figured, what the heck? Let's try it again. Well, that is correct. That is correct. So let me, as we did last week, let me uh, welcome you on and say, I I hope you had a great weekend. Did you do anything fun? Uh, I did. I had a nice weekend. It was mostly relaxing. My son came back for uh, the weekend from college. So I hung out with him and we got caught up on some old episodes of, uh, of all things, Battlestar Galactica. Now that's, that's fascinating to me. Uh, two questions, or actually a question and a comment. Uh, was that the original Battlestar Galactica back when we were kids or was this the, the more recent one uh, that had the, uh, a, a much more, uh, let's just say dynamic storyline? Yeah, it's the uh, Edward James Olmos more recent, well, to me, I guess I'd call that more recent, right? You know, not, yeah, the, yeah, 1970s, yeah, yeah. not the 1970s with Starbuck and all that, but man, I hey, tell don't, you. Hey, don't make fun of Lauren Green. Yeah, those those Cylon warriors scared the heck out of me then, and I'll probably have nightmares <laughs> for weeks now, but uh, but yeah, no, it was fun. It was a good weekend. How about yourself? Uh, it was uh, equally relaxing, but I did use yesterday uh, the rain because we had a tremendous amount of rain to get ahead on some things for this week. It is a busy one as we ramp into the earnings season, and I wanted to uh, do what I do, kind of sit back on the weekend and cherry pick a lot of the articles that we're going to use for our thematic framework uh, You know, when we're looking at the AAP portfolio, and I'll be dribbling those out uh, as the week goes on. But you know, the great thing about thematics, Todd, at least from my perspective, is um, if you really pay attention to what's going on in the outside world, there's a lot of real-time confirmation for the theme, the strategy, and from time to time, the, the, the companies that we're zeroing in on. So I, I really do like that. It, it, it's a little, uh, the old Forbes, I'll date myself here, fact and comment, but uh, I find it, it helps me sleep rather well at night. Uh, oh, and on the TV front, we actually started watching going into the Wayback Machine as well, the first season of 24. Ah, oh, excellent show. <laughs> Excellent. See now, our listeners, this is value add, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Entertainment tips, things, great shows from the past that we. Well, need to go- I mean, <laughs> you know, twenty four is just one of those things, and it's it's hard to. I can't believe it's to, over two decades old. So That's I'm amazing. watching it, and I'm like, oh wow, boy, Kiefer Sutherland, he sure was young. Wait a minute, I was young back then. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. Anyway, so as I alluded to, it is kind of a busy week. Um, you know, there, there are a couple things that are not going to happen this week. Uh, we're not going to get a lot of economic data out of China because it's closed for the Lunar New Year. Uh, also, the last few weeks, the market's really been leaning into uh, economic data as it should, but also the reaction to it uh, in Fed head speeches over the last few weeks, trying to, you know, is it going to be 50? Is it going to be 25? What could the terminal rate be? You know, more kind of uh, 
not to mix our media here, Todd, from TV shows to movies, but very much a, a Groundhog Day-like type of thing here where we keep coming back to what is the Fed going to do. But as I started to say, that changes this week because the Fed is now in its quiet period leading up to its next monetary policy meeting, which concludes, I, I, I believe it's February 1st at 2 p.m. And that is when uh, we'll get the policy statement and Fed Chair Powell will do the presser and we will see uh, is the market thinking in line with the Fed thinking or not. So those two things aren't going to happen, but we've got over 550 companies reporting this week. We've got uh, some pretty key economic data coming out, which you and I will talk about in a few minutes. But Todd, you know, before we we tackle quote all of that, is, is there any anything developing on on your radar that you think we should talk about? Well, one of the things I wanted to kind of touch on was the 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 pullback slash rally that we got. You know, it's it's not that last week. It's not that uncommon that when you get a breakaway momentum, and we talked about this last week, what breakaway momentum is, which basically over a 10-day period of time, you get two times the number of advancing stocks than you do declining stocks to a two-to-one ratio. Very uncommon, only 25 such readings since 1949, and historically uh, very bullish with a 20% um, return over the course of the, of the following year. Because you get so many advancers and decliners, advances to decliners over that 10 day stretch. It coincides with overbought um, readings on things like the McClellan oscillator, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not uncommon to see some backfilling of the recent move. And we did indeed get that last week. It's also not uncommon for the options expiration week in January uh, to be a down week, which is something that also may have you know, influence the way mm -hmm, stocks mm -hmm. were trading last week as we pulled back. I think it was like three or four percent, something like that, right, Chris, on the uh, on the S and P uh, 500. But what I thought was really interesting was what happened on Friday. Mm -hmm. And on Friday, we had huge volume. Again, that's the options expiration. So I mean, you're going to get big volume anyways. But you did have huge volume come back in. The the advancing volume to the declining volume was significant. Um, and the last hour of trading was significant. And the fact, Chris, to me, that it was a Friday. So you're going into the long weekend. And I think this is a character change that we've seen since the middle of December. And that they were getting strong action on Fridays ahead of the weekend. And previously, you know, for the, you know, say the first six months, you maybe from February 22 through, you know, October of 22, people were really, really resistant to own stocks over the weekend. Um, and you had Fridays were kind of down and you know, there's a whole old indicator of Friday, watch Friday and watch Monday. If you see Fridays and Mondays down, it's negative. If you see Fridays and Mondays up, it's positive. So it could be that we're getting a little bit of a character shift there. And I thought that that mm -hmm. was intriguing. Mm -hmm. And then last week when we were talking about uh, earnings, you'd asked if I was watching any one particular um, earnings report. And I had said, no, I'm more interested in how they react to the earnings. Mm -hmm. So in that vein, um, I was really kind of encouraged by the bank earnings and except for Goldman Sachs, which may have had some, you know, stock specific reason for it, but you had pretty good reaction. So bad earnings, but the stocks still traded up. And I think probably the better example um, outside of finance, the best example probably was Netflix. Um, you know, we saw Netflix put out numbers that you could easily have argued were not great. Right. Um, yet the stock trade pretty darn well afterwards. So, so, so what do you think is, is, is coming here? Because it, it sounds like there, there, there's a few things going on. And, and 
you know, I, I have shared with AAP members, you know, in the past that, you know, one of the things that I'm always mindful of is trying to identify, is not trying to identify, but so much as not miss an inflection point in the market mood on a sustained basis. Now, you know, very different than, than say, a potential head fake that's coming. And, and what, what you're describing kind of sounds to me like, you know, earnings may not be as bad as feared. You know, we're starting to get a lot more chatter around, oh, this recession is going to be mild. There were there was some um, CEO surveys that came out over the weekend speaking to this. Oh, we may not be laying off as many people. Things might be getting better. Um, and the market in and of itself is a forward-looking animal. So, you know, past a certain point, you know, the market is not going to focus on the next month, even though it may not be good. It's going to look at what's the next six, nine, 12 months. And, and what I think perhaps to catch in with what you're saying, folks might be sitting there and going, okay, may not be as bad as feared, risk reward adjusted basis. Okay. Things are a little better than they were before. I can afford maybe to start wading into some names here. Yeah. You had the sell-off in December because of the tax loss selling. So a lot of the people who are maybe weak hands who, you know, basically had gave up and said, oh, well, I'll take the tax break. Um, so you're left with a little bit of stronger hands. You still had a lot of people betting against the market. If you looked at the Bank of America survey of exposure to equities, it was extremely low. I think the lowest mm -hmm. since uh, oh, some time. 2005, some time. maybe, or something like that. Uh, which is a good contrary indicator. And I mean, if you, you know, Chris, just think about it this way, right? If 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 you bought when the exposure back in 2005 and that Bank of America survey was really, really low, right? I think the the, S the SPY, the you know, S&P 500 index ETF, that thing was trading at like 100. So you tripled your money. So <laughs> you may look stupid for a little while, but I guess it's all about time horizons, right? You know, when the data is really bad, oftentimes uh, that sets up really good long-term buy opportunities as we've talked about before. And I think you're right. If people are starting to do the calculus in their head and say, well, if it's not that bad, maybe I do want to own some of the stuff. And just to dovetail into that, uh, Chris, I, before we got on, on the call and started recording, I took a look to see what baskets, you know, what ETFs, major industry ETFs, et cetera, were doing best since the low in December 22nd. You know, because we're now a month removed from that. So I wanted to see, okay, what, what stuff is starting to work better than the S&P? What stuff's outperforming? At the top of the list, Chris, and this is going to surprise people, consumer discretionary stocks. So the XLY is up 8% since December 22nd, and that the S&P is up 4%. That is rather fascinating. Yeah. Be because it, it, fl it flies in the face of a lot of the consumer debt, you know, data and, and other data that's out there that show, and even CEO comments, you know, of late, um, you know, companies who have reported where they've said, oh, you know, I, um, the holiday season was off to a bang in, um, you know, around Black Friday, but fell off considerably in December. And I, I think that December retail sales data kind of speaks to that a little bit. Um, so that that is a little surprising. Well, I, you know, the one thing that I can dot that I can connect to that, Chris, is, you know, if you look at the first quarter of 2022 is impacted by supply chain problems, right? And if you look at FactSet's most recent earnings insight, which readers go online, Google FactSet earnings. Hey, who insight. told you about, who told you about that again? Might have been this guy I know named Chris. Actually, <laughs> was really pointing me towards that. God, it had to have been over a year ago now. Yeah, yeah. And, um, 
they update it every what couple weeks, Chris? And every week. Every, every week. It is every week. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that's interesting from this past week's um update is that the 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 top sector for earnings growth, anticipated earnings growth in, in Q1 of 2023, consumer discretionary stocks. Expected to see a 40% increase in earnings year over year. Well, well, hang on, hang on. Let's let's think about that a second because I think when we the the knee jerk reaction of consumer discretionary is thinking, oh, you know, Target, you know, those types of stores. But let let's remember what's in there, right? Also, restaurants, which mm-hmm. have been doing extremely well. They were up, uh, I think, fourth quarter year over year per the retail sales report, up like twelve point nine percent. So that's not a surprise. What do we hear from the travel industry, airlines in particular? People are going, which means, you know what, hotels are going to be doing well because they got to stay somewhere. So I think, you know, I'm not that surprised, but let's let's think about that for a second because, and I promise to tie this together. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was uh, comments this morning out of, uh, you know, regarding the European Central Bank. There's some poll action uh, conducted by Reuters. Two 50 basis points coming. The expectation for the Fed is uh, two 25 basis points coming. What I'm wondering is, geez, the dollar has really slid. You know, uh, we talked about this last week, but it continues to come down. I think, again, particularly against the euro, it's more likely to come down even further as that interest rate differential changes a little bit. Um, that tells me that U.S. companies might be doing better abroad. But here, here's the connection, Todd. Man, it's going to cost me a lot more to go to Europe than it did this time last year. Yeah, and you know, I'm really curious to see how this all plays out with inflation too, because you know, the dollar falling, um, you've got a lot of these commodity groups uh, starting to re-exert because the mm-hmm. price of the U.S. dollars. So now these foreign currencies are strengthening, and you're able to buy them and go go back out and buy them again. That's that's potentially inflationary down the line. And I think that that's something that we're going to have to watch as well. Is is what's that going to mean for import prices? Um, and it's also, you know, what's that going to mean for, like you said, travel? Will that impact overseas travel going out of the U.S.? Right. Uh, obviously supports travel coming into the U.S. So that's, you know, I don't know how much of a wash that is or not. Um, but yeah, I think it's there, there's a lot of intriguing aspects to this whole dollar trade that we've seen in the last uh, month or so. I kind of tend to agree with Carly Garner, who's, you know, uh, now contributing to the AAP team. Mm-hmm. alongside her work with real money and um, thinking that the dollar slide uh, will continue, but we're due for a bounce. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess it depends on, I mean, you, again, you have a secondary trends within primary trends and it could very well be that the primary trend now is going to be for a lower dollar because as you said, foreign central banks are now tightening more than the United States. 50 right. weeks out of the ECB versus 25 theoretically uh, on February 1st. Um, which is down from December, which is down from November. So, I mean, it's we're, we're trending down and they're trending up on hikes. And I think that that is one of the reasons that the dollar is is weakening. So I think- the Well, hang on, hang on. Let's, yeah. let's, let, let's just be careful on that language. Trending down on the size of the hikes, right? Mm, not, not that they're actually trending down. I just don't want anybody to listen and be like, but they, but they said, even though we did yeah. not. So, so I just wanted relative, to clarify. Wait, on a relative basis, relative right, to foreign right. central banks, Foreign central banks are kind of catching up a little bit 
uh, where the Fed was very aggressive earlier on, they were not as aggressive early on, and now they're playing catch up. Agreed, agreed. So let me let me ask you this though. So you know, I and I I don't mean to be a, a skeptic or a Debbie Downer or something like that. Apologies to all the Debbies out there listening. Um, what we had just talked about, though, is the falling dollar uh, giving some strength to the commodity basket, you know, oil, copper, this sort of thing. Is it possible, do you think, that that could over over inflate the strength of the economy? Because people do read into those, right, as indicators, bellwethers, if you will, for the health of the economy. Yeah, um, I guess it depends if we're talking coincident or leading indicators. We did get leading indicators today; they were horrible, right? I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. Now, now we'll 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 save that for a few minutes because I, I do want to talk about the one economic data point that you're watching uh, later this week, and I doubt it's leading indicators. No, it's not. It's not yeah, yet. yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't. It's possible. It's possible, right? I and mean, that's not what the Fed wants. You know, the Fed doesn't want us being bullish about the economy and opening up our wallets and spending a lot because, again, inflationary. So, no, you know. no, right, right, right. But, th- but this is this gets back to on a somewhat on a second, third, second, secondary tertiary basis. What we talked about last week, right, which is the notion that if we have a shallower than expected recession, China opens up. Right. Inflation does not get beaten down to 2% as fast as people think. And I and I, I was gonna save this to the end, but I, I still think that that's a potential risk. I don't think it's, it's hard to assess the probability of that right now. I, I think we'll have a much better sense of that as we get into the second, probably the middle of the second quarter, to be honest with you. Yeah, and this kind of dovetails with uh, Doug Cass and some of his surprises that he let, he let uh rolled out in December and Doug Cass also now contributing to AAP and part of the Real Money Pro team with his daily diary talking about um, inflation may be re-exerted in the second half. And again, maybe maybe the Fed does go longer and higher for longer. I, you know, I don't know. I'm, so, I'm a little skeptical of that only because they always seem to be chasing uh, and they always, you know, just like it, you know, is, is, was inflation, ter- you know, transitory and will I, you know, we can wait, we can wait, we can wait until the data. And now it seems like they're going to wait and wait and wait until the data again. And like usual, they're going to be late to make their change. Uh, but change. I think, I think there, I, I think the, the risk to this is why, you know, we have seen the last two or three months, some good progress, PPI, CPI, no question, but even, and I, I'm, you know, I'm scratching my head here trying to remember the PPI print from last month, but it's still a ways away from 2%. So, so to the extent that you know we make little incremental progress, maybe stall, right? And the Fed's got to perhaps either you know double down or just continue raising to beat it down to two percent. That to me, that's the biggest unknown right now. Yeah, I mean the terminal rate's still what projected to be what, Chris? Is it five point one at the end of the year? All right, so five point one at the end of the year. We're at what four point seven on PC core PCE last month. I think we're looking for 4.4. That's well. Now I'm getting ahead oh, of myself. Hang on, hang on. Sorry, 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 sorry. When when you said terminal rate, I was quoting where the Fed's latest dot plot has the yeah. Fed funds rate. That's 5.1 by the end of the year. Yeah. Which is still which is still higher than the CME tool, by the way. Yeah, and what's the bond market is actually similar, right? It's looking for similarly around five percent. I think. I think so. I think that's yeah. right. So but, I, it, and then the bond market is actually pricing in us cutting at the end of the year. So it's the CME tool, which they've been adamant saying they're not going to do. 
But that's the other thing, though. And, and again, I, I hate to I feel like we're going round and round on this. But if the if the recession is more mild, right, than people were originally thinking a couple months ago and China is stronger, you know, maybe that rate cut doesn't come. It's hey, listen, we've got to model for it, right? We have to we have to model for that potential. And I think that that's one of the reasons that in portfolios, maybe, you know, if you look at the AAP portfolio, it's majority long with some, you know, a little bit of foot on the brake a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. protection, playing a little protection. Well, they, I think that's still smart. I don't think, I, I think that that's still a smart way to go. Well, what, what I like about conversations like this, and I apologize to the listener if they're convoluted and hard to follow, um, you know, it, what we try to do is identify scenarios out there and then weigh the probabilities so that we can be prepared for what comes, right? We, the last thing we want to do is get caught flat-footed. Um, you know, this is why we, I mean, candidly, the, you know, what do people say about this? You know, well, oh, I can't do that. That's a full-time job. That's why it's our full-time job, right, Todd? Absolutely. Absolutely. In these kind of conversations, this is how you're getting, the listeners are getting like their understanding now what's going on behind the scenes. Right. These conversations, Chris, you're having these conversations, not just with me, but all of these other people who can, are, are associated with the street. So right. you're able to have these conversations and flesh out that thinking. And that's, of course, informing the decisions for the portfolio and hopefully helping our listeners figure out what to be doing with their portfolios at home. So, it's, But yes, this is all part of that learning process where we're sort of banging around ideas, trying to punch holes in each other's theses, trying to figure out uh, what's the most likely outcomes. Correct. Correct. It's, you know, it, it's in the vein of, uh, and I'm going to butcher this, but Donald Rumsfeld, right? You know, known unknowns, unknown knowns, and the worst, the unknown unknowns. So we're really trying to, you know, by having these conversations and sharing them, we also, we, as, as you kind of alluded to, Todd, we, we want to help raise the thinking of the listeners, particularly the AAP members. But, you know, it also allows us to kind of identify things that we know, talk about things we're unsure of, but also get the other perspective and saying, oh, you know, wow, that's a fascinating point. I didn't think about that. So uh, this is why I love having these these various conversations. Okay, now, Todd, let's let's move into the second half of the content today on the podcast. Um, data. What is the data point you're looking to watch this week? Well, if you made me pick one, I'm, I am going to still say, even though I, we joked last week, who cares about inflation anymore? I am still going to say that I'm going to be watching Friday's core PC because core PC is what the Fed uh, has cited to be their their inflation gauge of choice, right? They want to see that getting down to that two, two and a half percent area. Now, one of the things that we have seen historically is that uh, it can be bullish for equities, um, coincidentally, when the Fed funds rate, it, you know, gets above um, inflation, right? So you have that in, inversion between the two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we are getting closer to that point. You know, we were at 4.7% um, in last month's core PCE. And this month, the estimate is 4.4% year over year for PCE. So we are approaching that point where we could see the Fed funds rate um, move above PC. So I'm going to be watching that. That's, that's, and that's again coming out on Friday. So uh, let me, let me, let me ask you a question. So that's the December data, correct? Correct. But right before that, we get the fourth quarter, the initial fourth quarter GDP print, which gives us the fourth quarter PCE. So why, why wait till December 
the hard December data, why not just look at the fourth quarter data? Absolutely, why not? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think the December data is gonna give me a better feel for um, speed, you know, because it's just showing me, it's the, the December month is just gonna show me that one month and that might give me a feel on the rate of change, like how quickly are we moving? Well, ver to versus October, November, right? Yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I really merged in December, but there's no reason not to look at the, the Q4. And you're right, that comes out with the GDP on Thursday, which again, I said, if you force me to look at a data point, I would say core PC on Friday. Uh, the other piece of data, obviously, that I want to see is in the you must be this way you picked. I don't know. Would be I'm, the just, GDP on I'm, Thursday. Just, I'm just glad that you hit the, you hit, you, excuse me. <clears throat> You properly hit the softball that I lobbed to you just then. Thank you. Um, so in terms of the data I'll be watching, to me, um, again, given the questions over the economy, uh, not just in the U.S., but really, you know, in Europe as well, I will be keying in on S&P Global's flash January PMI. And, and when, I, when I look at these, a lot of folks tend to look at just the headline number. I do, of course. But to me, it's really the innards that matter most. In this case, what are they seeing in trends of, of employment, backlog levels, inflationary commentary, and then the new orders? And I say new orders because um, you know people are probably tired of me, you know, saying this, but I say it because it's the first indicator of what the next month is going to look like. And given the conversations around, you know, a potential recession, uh, I really want to see what these what the, this set of data, excuse me, has to say again for Europe and the US. We we don't get it for uh, China. We won't get it for Japan, I believe, either. But um, no, I take that back. I take that back. We we will get it for Japan. And, you know, the, for, for those people, at, you know, kind of going, okay, US, Eurozone, China, Japan, um, they, they give the data for a lot of countries. Why those four? And the answer, as I'm pretty sure you know this, Todd, is those four are what we refer to as the economic horsemen of the global economy, right? As they go, so go the global economy. So that, that's really the thing that I'll be looking at. Um, Chris, can you do me a favor for the listeners and pull that thread just a little bit more and try and connect that dot from the data that you're going to look for in that to what they how they should be thinking about the composition of their portfolio? Or how, how are you connecting? How are you thinking that you'll connect that thread? So, so the, the way that I look at this right now, and, and it's more of a larger picture, not necessarily for any one particular company, or sector, but you can do that because they do give manufacturing data, they give uh, services data, but they don't really get more granular than that. So it, it's it's a little tough. Um, I look at this as kind of a lead for what we'll get next week from ISM, uh, the Institute for Supply Management that does their own PMI numbers for manufacturing and services. And they too have comments on employment, inflation, uh, backlogs and new orders. So to me, this is a preview. So it's kind of a setup for what the ISM data says, and I, excuse me, ISM data should tell us. And the reason I look at that is because the close correlation between the ISM data and S&P 500 revenue expectations, okay? So this, this to me is going to be very important as we see something like 550 companies start to report this week and even more next week, because we're always trying to figure out our expectations too high, if so, where, what can we do? Um, so that's that's the real reason why I, I, I look at that data, Todd. Perfect. Excellent, okay. Um, did I, did I, uh, did I hit the softball okay? 
Absolutely. Yeah. No, I just think, I think it's important sometimes because, you know, we can get pretty wonky when we're talking about economic data and um, economic data. Oftentimes, I mean, it's, it's very good as a conviction tool in the first half of a bear market because it's slowing and you start to say, okay, well, the market's got down, the economy's starting to slow and you start adds conviction and allows you to play some defense. <clears throat> as we shift to the later stages of a bear market, what tends to happen with a lot of investors is that now they've gotten so used to weighing that economic data pretty heavily because they wait on it to use it as a conviction tool in that first half of the bear market. Now they start to overweight it relative yeah. to price action in the second half of a bear market. So I think it's, I really wanted to get that so that we could kind of walk people through why we're watching this data and then start to think about it uh, with an eye looking forward to and recognizing that as we get deeper into this bear market, you're probably going to want to start to weigh the economic data a little bit less than maybe you were, say, in the first half of 2022. So I, I think there, I think the perspective to identify um, that that folks want to key on it, it's similar in some respects, and I, I think you talked, uh, you referenced some of this data uh, last time, which is if you look at industry data, right, for semiconductor capital equipment. Right. When do you want to start to really look at those names? Right. It's if if capital spending is falling, when does the industry backlog data stabilize? If you're looking at heavy trucks, right, and you've got a uh, concern over a recession, recession is unfolding. Geez, when do you want to wade back into like PACAR and Navistar? Right. When the industry backlog levels stabilize. So it, it this is kind of similar to this with the economic data. You know, when is the PMI numbers, when do they start to stabilize? And the first indication of that could be the new order data. So that's another reason kind of roundabout why I'm really kind of looking at this data. Softball two hit. Okay, let's, uh, okay, last uh, last two questions, Todd, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Um, stock to watch this week, 550 reports coming. Which one is it? Well, people may be like, "Why? Why would I say this?" But I'm watching Tesla, uh, and the reason God, why, we, why, why are you saying that? Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm watching Tesla because, to me, that is like the poster child of a stock that people either love or hate. And I want to yeah. know: Are the bulls or the bears in charge? And I said last week that I'm most interested in how they react than the absolute number. So I, again, I don't really. Shouldn't say I don't care. Mm -hmm. I kind of don't care what the absolute number is out of Tesla. I don't necessarily care what the delivery number is or what the revenue number is or what the earnings number is. What I really am interested in seeing is do people buy the news? So or, you're you're looking for you're looking for conviction for what you said earlier, what you started to see with some of the bank stocks, right? Are people looking through you know, if it's good news, great. If it's bad news, okay, so what? I'm looking forward. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, technology has been incredible. Is Tesla technology stock? I don't know. Let's call it beta. Beta stocks have been hated, right, mm -hmm. through this bear market. So we'll, we'll call them beta stocks or growth stock, whatever you want, however you want to refer. And um, Netflix kind of, again, character change. Are we seeing these character changes? You know, I do a lot of business cycle research. Uh, I've always been interested and fascinated by business cycles. And, you know, only until recently, and I told you, I looked from December, that December low, 
Only recently are we starting to see the early cycle baskets like consumer discretionary and technology outperforming the S&P over more than a day or two. And I think that that's something that we're going to want to watch is are people stepping back up and being willing to buy some beta and add some beta to their portfolio or not. And maybe you can draw some conclusions about sentiment from that, uh, especially when you start thinking about, again, that Bank of America data that we, we talked about earlier, which they're very underweight, um, their exposure to stocks. And maybe you start to say, wow, some people are taking on some beta and you've got a lot of money just on the sidelines betting against growth stocks still. Maybe again, we're seeing that character shift. That character. Interesting. Okay. So that's, that's what I'm watching. Okay. I The one that I'm going to watch is a name that uh, might surprise some folks, but it's Microsoft. Now, Microsoft is a big company. It is extremely well covered. And you might you know, be thinking, Chris, are you watching this to hear what they say about PC demand? Eh, a little bit. Well, what about cloud? Is that really what you want to key into? Well, certainly that is a big one and it's, it would have ramifications you know, for um, for Google, for Amazon. So yes, I will be paying attention to that. But what I'm really curious to see is what they say, if anything, about these plans with chat GBT. That to me is, you know, I, I really want to understand the nature of the relationship, what they're looking to do with it in terms of folding it into their products to make it a, a very much differentiated weapon. And the reason for that is it appears based on you know the internet and stories that are running you would think that google is like running for the hills trying to figure out what to do in response to this headlines that they're bringing the two founders back to try and help you know figure out their game plan there there's some other headlines out there that are talking about how oh google's going to be forced to announce some ai developments in in the coming weeks because of this so th this is this is interesting to me because it could really upend what we've thought of, you know, as um, the landscape. But at the same time, though, I also want to understand this a little better because, you know, over the last, good God, I'm going to date myself here, uh, you know, since 1992, I have seen a number of uh, hot ideas come, right? The market reacts like it's the, the next coming of sliced bread, and it doesn't turn out to be that, or it turns out to take longer than expected to unfold. 3D so printing. What's say that again? <laughs> 3D printing. No, I'll go. I'll, look I, again. I'll date myself. It was 1999, Todd, and people were like, you know, I was I was sitting either at an Ericsson or a Nokia investor event in New York, and they were like, 3G will be here in full force by 2001. Uh, no, didn't happen, and and the like, and. and the, the lesson here is that, you know, we, we want to try and separate um, what is, you know, a, a potential uh, game changer, a true game changer from a, you know, a fad, if you will. And, and like, for example, um, you know, this time last year, a lot of folks were talking about BNPL or buy now, pay later. Really kind of curious to see what, what the staying power for some of that is uh, in terms of those individual stocks. Right. Um, but this adoption of AI, you know, this could be very, very, very telling. Um, it would also drive a tremendous amount of data. Uh, right now, the, the, the big data generator or consumer on the networks is video. But this could this could potentially change that. So uh, as I sit there and listen to this, I, I want to think about, well, what does this mean for 
data creation and consumption? What does this mean, therefore, for data centers? What does it mean for chips that go into data centers? So there, there's a lot of, um, to use, uh, you, you, you said calculus earlier, so I'll, I'll go be one step further. First, second, third derivative level thinking that I'm, I'm, I, I have when I simply say Microsoft. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And I was fascinated to see that they, I'm curious, they didn't release how much money they invested, did they? Did you say? Oh, I just I, heard billions, but. I, uh, multiple billions is what I heard. Yeah. And I know that the rumors were 10 billion. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a, wow, it's a huge, huge investment. And what's that value that company at? Maybe open was it open AI valuing at maybe twenty six billion or something like that. I, who knows? I I don't even know how this is going to play out, but I think it's going to be fascinating in the well, use cases, like you said, and then extrapolating the use cases into how does that disrupt how people consume and and digest data information. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing too, and we we tend to have seen this. Sorry, we tend to see this, and we've seen this a number of different times in the past. Is when some, when one company, when company A makes a move like this, all of a sudden it's a game of musical chairs from from other players to shore up what they have, um, you know, e either to legitimately fill in, you know, some product or technology gap or hole, or to at least say they're doing something. Yeah, and I, you know, you look at a company like Microsoft that's as well known, as widely owned. And also, still nicely off of its peak valuation, um, it's got to be definitely something that you're going to want to pay attention to. Yeah, my so my the only thing that I'm a little not concerned about, but this is an earnings call, and they they might talk a little bit about it. I think it's going to come down to their 2023 analyst day, investor day, whatever it might be. You know, at some point later this year, and and, and I'm saying that I don't know if it's the first half of the year, the second half of the year, what have you. But I, I think that's really where they're going to open the kimono a little bit more and kind of share what they're doing. So any, uh, any Todd, anything we didn't talk about? Any, any closing thoughts? Anything? No, anything, that, anything? You know, one thing I would say is that listeners go back and listen to last week's podcast if you're interested in some learning more about some of those auto chip stocks that we talked about because, boy, those worked out nicely. <laughs> They, you know, they did, they did, um, you know, but I also saw too, though, that, you know, some of the uh, sell side analysts are getting a little more bullish on tech, just to your point about early cycle names. So we'll see. I, you know, I still think there might be a little bit of a head fake, you know, I, I, I think, uh, I think if I were, you quoted Carly Garner earlier, and I think on the first AAP video she did, she said that we might get a little bounce here, but be patient because there might be a better opportunity ahead. So, so we'll see. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to the whole thing we were talking about in portfolio construction last week. We we're like, you know, one of the great things that AAP do. I do it in my own portfolio. Is you take these, you know, kind of like probing little positions or progressive exposure, where, you know, you find a name that you like. Yeah, okay, take a little bit of it and save some back and be able to redeploy it as you get a little bit more conviction because. Markets don't go up in a straight line, right? So they go up to up into the right over time, but they don't do it in a straight line. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. All right, Todd. Well, hey, thank you for uh, joining me today. And uh, I'm sure we'll be tapping into that big brain of yours in the weeks ahead. Thanks for having me, Chris.